Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Man, the good news is Jesus is the one who it all hinges on yeah. that he's good enough, right? That the truth, he is the truth. He's creating in us the type of people he wants us to be by his power, right. not our own moral effort. Yeah, that's just good news. Amen. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad you're here for our second week in First Timothy. Seth, how are you feeling about that? I mean, I feel feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Feel good, ready to be mentored by the Apostle Paul a little mentored. bit. Yeah, right before we were praying and you said the First Timothy is a pastoral epistle and then you called it a mentoring epistle? A, a mentoring epistle. Yeah, I mean, Timothy is the Apostle Paul's protege. Yeah. He's been following him to Corinth and Thessalonica, and then he's being given like this post in Ephesus, and he's all alone for a little while. Yeah. And then Paul is sending him like encouragements in while he's on the field and mentoring him through the leadership challenges that he's experiencing. So that's helpful. That's a helpful framing device because I think we've I think we talked about this in the introduction when I asked you how you were doing in the introduction. I think I remember you saying something like when I think about the letters of Timothy or the pastoral epistles as a whole, yeah, they tend to be like proof texts for the church. Right. Here's this, what to do in the church, what not to do in the church. This is how you appoint an elder. This right. is how what the this is the doctrine of scripture. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense for a pastoral epistle. It's a it's an epistle for pastors. Yeah. It's like one that's a made up category. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just name that. Uh, but two, it does kind of like give you some of those connotations. Yeah. Whereas like a mentorship epistle, mentoring epistle so is you like you got an older Christian talking to a younger Christian about how like, to lead here's some well. help. Yeah. Yeah. So that's helpful. I like that framing yeah. device. And it opens up kind of like hot and heavy in the sense of yeah. like you got some false teachers. Let's talk about them. Right. So recap for me. Um, kind of what we talked about. The We talked a lot in the introduction episode about what's going on. In, yeah. And we're going to get into some details of that here as we look at chapter one today. But give, what's the background here? What needs to be in our brains? Well, I mean, at the very start, we just know that there are false teachers mm -hmm. that are corrupting and hurting Timothy's church in Ephesus. We know that they are they deny that there's a second record, uh, a second coming of Jesus, or they think it's like already happened, or, or they something. think it's yeah. already happened. Uh, they 
have some strange doctrines about the creation story, it seems. They like to talk about the Old Testament law, but they're getting lost in the details. It's led them to say, you shouldn't get married, and you should probably shouldn't be eating meat, or you shouldn't be eating certain types of food. Yeah. And... I think probably more uh, damaging than any like the weird like ethical commands that tells them to do. They're just being incredibly divisive. Mm. They're disrupting the order and the unity of God's church in favor for their controversies that they prefer, okay. and that's kind of like a big part. Okay, so you've got on. a mentee of the Apostle Paul in an embattled church facing false teachers, some claims of like ethical gray areas. And some divisive combativeness that's yeah. going on. And more than likely, these false teachers were current or previous leaders within mm-hmm. the church. Yeah. So they're trusted by a large group of people in Timothy's congregation. They still have some clout and influence. Mm-hmm. And so Timothy isn't just dealing with false teachers out there who right. are saying crazy things. He's dealing with people inside of his church that people trust who have the ear of a lot of people yeah. and it's difficult to confront these types of people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. And as a younger guy, he now has to come in and lead leaders. Right. Which is hard. Right. And there's this comment later on where it's like, don't let people look down on you because you're young. So he's probably the youngest, he might be the youngest guy leading, leading, and he's supposed to correct all of his elders. That's hard. Difficult position to be in. Okay. So as we look at chapter one, I think we talked about three main themes that we're going to hit in today's episode. Yeah. What are those? And then let's start the first one. We're going to talk about, the proper and the misunderstood use of the Old Testament law. Which is kind of the grounding of the false teachers. That's right. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about the litmus test for uh, true doctrine. How okay. do you know something's actually biblical? Well, that's a, I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. And then finally, we'll talk about the gospel of patience. Which we touched on in the intro, yes. and it's like my favorite thing. Amazing. Okay. So then the first is the improper use and the proper use of the Old Testament law. Which, like, let, let's state something broadly and narrowly. Broadly speaking, this is a hot topic in almost every sector of the church. I is mean, how, what do we do with the Old Testament? What about its laws? What about its regulations? Which parts do we obey? Which parts do we not obey? Yeah. It is not been solved in the centuries yes. that Christians have been studying Scripture. And Seth and I are not going to try to solve that today. Yeah. We're going to narrow in a little bit here on um, what the false teachers are uh-huh. trying to misuse the law to do. And specifically, how Paul explains what the right use of the law is. Yeah, so let me just read okay. the opening verses. So, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So, he leaves them knowing that there's false teaching going on. Not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Man, can I? Yeah, wait. I want to go back to that yeah, yeah. verse three that you just read. You said I don't think I. It's very clear in the text, but I don't think I ever noticed that before. That Paul left Timothy at the church while there was already false teachers. Yeah, because he says, "Now I urged you when I was in person with you in Ephesus, don't let those people teach those false doctrines. Those certain people right over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't let them teach false doctrine. Okay, bye, Timothy. Right. Is like, oh, so like, yeah. That's just. The idea is Paul and Timothy show up and the leaders of the church are teaching false doctrines. And Paul's like, you got to stay here and fix this situation. (laughs) Poor Timothy. (laughs) And right, could you imagine? It's like, okay, they've been been the leaders of this church for a long time. They've been teaching. They have all the authority. And now Paul's just 
baptized me as his apostolic delegate, and I'm supposed to correct what these people have been doing for all this time? Super fun. Super fun. Okay, so sorry. Go ahead. So they've devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Mm -hmm. So the genealogies, more than likely, are references to the genealogies of Genesis yeah. um, in, in the first five books of the Bible. Right. Yeah, I, I think one commentator I was reading said, because there's these two descriptors, you have myths, and then you have these endless genealogies. So myths, you know, is meant to not to say that they were talking about unicorns and cyclopses and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. things like that. Yeah. But he is talking about the let me just tell you what they're actually teaching. It's made up. It's a myth. It doesn't matter. I understand. Yes. It's the quality, not the content. I understand. It's the, what they're teaching is a myth, guys. Just don't, don't mythical listen to it. doctrines about the genealogy. Right. It's like, is it Genesis. is the content of it, quote unquote, biblical in the sense that it's derived from the Bible and in the biblical universe? Yeah. Yeah. But is it true? No, it's made up. It's a myth. It's a myth. So that's the quality. Uh-huh. But then the second is the is the content. content. Mm. And it's these these genealogies. And he calls them endless, which could mean that they just keep going on and on and on about them. They're called or, babbling. Right. Uh, yeah, or it later, could mean yeah. that they're pointless. Right, right, right. It's like, guys, this conversation is just endless. It's I mean, not going anywhere. He says they promote speculation. Yeah. So it's like they're, they're speculative philosophies, speculative imaginings yeah. based on the Old Testament, but to have no... They're At the end of the day, they're myths. They're getting lost in the weeds. Got it. Intentionally, right? Like they're, yeah. they're, they're going into the uh, peripherals of Scripture these little nooks and crannies and trying to see what isn't there. Got it. Okay. The net result of these like speculations is that they're abandoning the faith. He says that they're promoting speculations rather than stewardship from God. Like there's this stewardship, like this responsibility that the leaders of the Ephesian church were supposed to have that they're abandoning by going towards these and like talking about these speculative philosophies. But Mm. So there's like what there's like core, more central things that they're supposed to be talking about, but they're getting stuck on the periphery or I think that's right. Or that they were given a charge uh-huh. to faithfully lead this church right. into godliness and true doctrine. And they're not doing that because they're getting lost in these speculative genealogies. I see. The, the it is interesting too that that word stewardship could also be translated good order. Uh, we're gonna talk at length in the next episode. About, the, about order. the order of God's house. Yeah. And he's like, look, you were, you were supposed to be stewarding the good order of the house. Mm-hmm. And instead, you're getting lost in these speculations that are causing disorder. Right. Okay. And I he says the true aim of our charge, verse 5, is to, to have love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Mm. So the gospel, the message, the responsibility Timothy bears is to create people of love that have pure hearts good consciences because their behavior is moral and they have sincere faith in the true scripture, not in the made up myths that these people are. He's not saying like, Hey Timothy, go bash some skulls and get them in line. He's like, no, the aim of getting them back into the good doctrine of the gospel is so they will actually be loving people mm-hmm. who love other people. That's right. It's like, don't we all want that? Yeah. It's like the and, way for them to get that is to get right. back into the basics. And he, he doubles down certain perfect persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions. Like their vain discussions are leading them to wander away from what they should have been doing, mm. teaching others to love each other in light of scripture, leading to good behavior, good conduct, mm. right order, and sincere faith. So vain discussions, vain discussions. None of that going on nowadays. None of that. Nope. None. Mm-mm. Zero. Zero vain, vain discussions. discussions. <laughs> Every discussion I ever see is super fruitful. Uh, uh, <laughs> for our, agreed. <laughs> 
For unaware listeners, that's called sarcasm. That's called sarcasm. <laughs> and then he says this in verse 7. They desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make competent assertions. So again, what are they doing? We've said it already. They're taking the Old Testament scripture, the law, the Hebrew mm-hmm. law, and they are majoring on the minors, mm-hmm. missing the point, and leading other people to act immorally and to abandon love. That's a really good synopsis. And like, and I think Paul's point here in, in verse 7 is they think they're experts. That's right. But they don't even know what they're talking about. That's right. Yeah. And okay. now here's what's interesting in verse 8. Now we know that the law is good right. if one uses it properly. Right. So I think we have to stop there because yeah. this is always a charge that Paul is trying to uh, n- like nip in the bud. That he's always trying to make sure people know that he's not anti-law. Right. He's not against the Old Testament, against the Torah, against the commands. Against what God said in the Old Yeah, Right. Yeah, yeah. Because like, he does this all the time in his letters. Like, he has to, after saying a bunch of stuff about how Jesus and the gospel have uh, like, fulfilled, the law. like fulfilled the law, he then has to go, now I'm not saying the law is bad. I'm right. not saying I don't love the law. Right? He's like... He's and in this case, here. it's like these false teachers are upholding the law. The law is good. Dive deeper into uh-huh. it. Get lost in the genealogy. Say, right. No, I agree. The law is right. good. But you could see the accusation. Right. That he'd be like, guys, stop getting lost in these endless genealogies. And it's like, dude, we're just taking the word of God really seriously. Every word. Every word every matters. Every genealogy. Every descendant matters, Paul. Go in, why does Paul not want to go deep into Genesis? That's right. Does he hate the law? He say, no, it's good, but you have to use it properly. Right. And it's only good. If you're using it properly. That's right. Understand okay. this, that the law is not laid down for the just or the good, or, but for the lawless and for the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and for the profane. And then he goes on and lists people who are breaking the Ten the descriptive ways to describe people who break the Ten Commandments. Those right. who strike their fathers and mothers instead of honor them. For murderers who break the commandment not to kill. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about that is... I didn't know guilt was on the line, hmm. right? Like, I didn't realize um, lawlessness was on the line or disobedience was on the line until this moment. Hmm. So what that makes me think is that these teachers were going on and on and on about the details of the text in order to escape the hard parts of Scripture that called into account for their behavior, hmm. right? Like, yeah. the Old Testament says you're guilty if you dishonor your father and mother. But if we get really lost in the weeds about the genealogies of David, what you'll find is yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, people can think I'm really godly. Yeah. And can think I'm a super great Bible nerd. Right. And who cares if I take care of my mom or not? Yeah. And then <laughs> I miss the ethical commands of God because I'm getting lost. And like, right. I don't have to deal with the guilt. Interesting. Jesus said something very similar to the Pharisees here. Okay. Right. They tithed a tenth of their dill. Right, they were like yeah, yeah, following yeah, yeah, yeah. the law to the letter, majoring on the minors, but they didn't take care of their parents, claiming that their inherit that like the money they would use to help their parents was something called Corbin, right? Which right, was right. no, since I'm a Pharisee, that money goes to, to God, to God, and because it goes to God, I don't have to give it to my parents, right? But meanwhile, that increases their political religio religio political clout right. in the synagogue. And yeah. so it's really interesting that this was still going on in Jesus's day. Hmm. Oh, okay, this is, was after Jesus's day. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this was this was in the water. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was in the Old Testament for a second. Uh and so like this is already in the religious world of m- getting lost in the details of 
um, convenient parts of the Old Testament in order to ignore some of the more crucial or central parts. That's right. Okay. And what's interesting then is, so what does that say about the proper use of the law? Mm. So he says it. The law is for the lawless. Yeah. Think about that. Like the law, the Old Testament laws was written for people who would break it. Right. Or to define what was wrong about their behavior. Right. Which is really interesting to think about the law being written for guilty people. And and then I guess the implication here is then that because it was written for guilty people, mm-hmm. you don't need to be worried about it calling you guilty. Right. Like there's this, there's this sense that they were avoiding the guilt the law was bringing by majoring on the minors and like mm. getting lost in the details. But no, no, the law was written for guilty people and for what purpose? To atone for their sins by the sacrifice of a bull or a goat in God's presence. I see. Right? Like the purpose yes. of the law was to expose your sin, yes, but also to give you a way to escape your sin and to have it atoned for in the temple. Right. The law isn't scary for guilty people. It's, it's actually, salvation for it's guilty salvation people. for guilty people. Yeah. You could go right there. Here's a way that God will accept your your atonement, and you guys will be fine again. Right. Guilt is not a scary thing in the law. Yeah. Paul says something very similar to this in Romans 7, where he basically brings up the same thing. He's defending his view of the law again. He's like, what shall I say then? That the law is sin? By no means. He's mm-hmm. like, again, right, I right. like the law. Yeah, you just yeah, have yeah. to understand what it is. This is uh, Romans 7, 7 and on. Yet... If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it means to say, I don't know, covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But then sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know what it, he didn't know coveting his neighbor's wife was wrong. He didn't know being like, man, that Corvette in my neighbor's driveway is really cool. I wish I could. That's just a human emotion, right? I wish I could kill him and take it. You know, like (laughs) he didn't know that was bad. And then he read it in the Old Testament that it was bad. And he's like, oh, I'm a sinner. I am guilty and I need saving. And then what does he find in the law? A way to take away that guilt. Right. What I think is happening here then is like Paul is like implicitly setting us up for the gospel. Mm. So like. Presumably, these these false teachers are focused on the parts of the Bible that made them feel less guilty, but the law was written for guilty people, and the law pointed towards the good news that guilt could be taken away when entrusted to another force, to, yeah. to an animal. And what did Jesus do? Jesus died for guilty people. Right. You don't need to pretend you're good. You don't need to ignore the law. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go on an endless genealogy to avoid the guilt you feel when you read the law. Yeah. You can read the law, see your sinner really clearly, and then know Jesus died for guilty people. He only died for mm-hmm. guilty people. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay. I'm, I'm trying to talk about the proper use of the law yes, here, yes, yes. and then I and then I have some other questions, but like. So a proper way to read my Old Testament, let me just say this back to you, yes. is for me to read, let me, like, like I just open Judges, yes. right? And I could read about the cycle of Israel's disobedience. And uh, the proper way for me to read that, according to Paul here in First Timothy, would be to say, oh, I'm like that. That's right. I have these cycles of sin too. I'm just always bent to disobey God, define good and evil for myself, and be evil. To, yeah and man do what's right I, in my own eyes right and yeah. do what's right in my own eyes that's the book of judges, that's the book of judges. uh man i really need help yeah I, i'm i thought i was my own savior my mm-hmm. own judge i'm i can't be i'm disqualified i need a new savior mm-hmm. and so and then what does the law provide 
You're sa- the savior. Yeah. That God, that sacrifice that God provides. Right. Because and for and for us, Jesus is that savior because mm-hmm. He said, "Now look, at all the prophets and all of Moses said that they all they all are talking about Me." Mm-hmm. And so at every point that we get to that moment where we're like, man, I really need a savior, man, I'm really guilty, man, I'm really messed up, then the law not only points out our guilt, but pushes us to Jesus. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's, I think that's what he's saying is the proper use of the law. And that's why they don't know what they're talking about either. If they would have understood the proper use of the law, they would have dove into the details and they would have seen all the details are pointing to the need for sinners, for guilty people, for lawbreakers to need a way to be right with God. And they would mm-hmm. find it in the sacrificial system, which ultimately points to Jesus, yeah. where God saves sinners. Yeah. Okay. They're missing the point. They don't know what they're talking about, what right. Paul says. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you a hard question okay, then. Okay, then. Then are you saying that once I've done that and I'm not a murderer or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, any of these things? Yeah, a liar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sexually immoral. Okay. I'm not, I'm not one of those things anymore. So I don't need the law anymore. So that <laughs> is that what he's saying? It's for the ungodly and the murderers. So does that mean the Old Testament is not for David? No. Oh. The law reveals the character of God, the types of things that he loves, the types of people he wants his people to be. The law is still useful for exposing the ways that we fall short of God's character. And the law still points to the way that we can become those men and women of character mm-hmm. by appealing to God's presence in the temple and a sacrifice that's not ourselves. Ultimately, that's Jesus. And what's he going to say in verse 11? And all this is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which was I have been entrusted. How do you become followers of the law, people who mirror God's character, people who are uh, good stewards of the faith, who have a heart that issues forth love and produces purity and faithfulness? Well, that's because you've seen the law for what it is, exposing our sinfulness, driving us to our need for Jesus, who fills us with his spirit, who empowers us to look more like God. Like, the law is still good. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was being cheeky. But I think it's a really good question, though, because there are a lot of Christians out there, some maybe even listening right now, and they, you, may think you don't need the law. You don't yep. need the Old Testament. And you think Paul just proved your point. Right, that's right, like, right, right. No, the laws for the ungodly. You know, it's like I understand. You know, like the Old Testament's just there to like tell me how badly I needed Jesus. I know I need Jesus, and that's why I have the New Testament. Right. And the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's part of the function of the law, yeah. But also, let me be clear. <laughs> uh Paul in First Timothy one, eight through eleven, which we're talking about right now, did not make an exhaustive list of the use of the law. He he, he didn't say now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, here's the only way to use it lawfully. He didn't right, say that. He, right, right. Here's one of the uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? He's not making an exhaustive list. If he was, he would then immediately have contradicted himself in his own letters here. Because here in chapter 5, he's going to quote an obscure law about not muzzling the ox when it treads out the <laughs> right, grain. Right, right, yeah. That has nothing to do about using the law for the ungodly to prove their guilt. It's a principle about the way God wants his universe run that he's applying to paying your pastors. I guess the other question would be then, so one one way to use the law properly is to understand that it was written for lawbreakers. So what purpose did the law serve for people 
who aren't currently breaking the law. <laughs> right. That's 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 yeah. that's the question. And I think you got there, you know, and I think the I think the answers are multitudinous, but one one of the things you said was well it reveals just the character of God. That's right. No, so not only what shouldn't I do, right? But who should I be? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. should be like God. Be holy as I am holy, says mm-hmm. the Lord. Right? Um it, it tells us how he wants his universe to run. Like wisdom literature tells us how the grain of the universe is shaped and how to work with its warp and, and, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, or or even like later on in First and Second Timothy, Paul's going to pull on stories from the Old Testament to show what false teachers are like and how to react to them and how God is sovereign over them. And it's going to, so it's going to show us how to be wary of some things and how to trust God in circumstances. It shows us God's faithfulness so we can persevere through hardship. There are hundreds of uses for the old Testament yeah. for the Christian. Mm-hmm. But the problem here is that they were using it wrongly. Right. Right. In order to avoid its very core function. Like the core function of the law mm-hmm. is to convict you of sin and show you a savior. Yes. No, there are other yes. very important functions. But that was but the function they were denying by their false teaching. Right. And they were using it for its express opposite purpose. Right. So he's going to double down on what you must get out of the law mm-hmm. is that you're a sinner and you need a savior. Yeah. If you if you're going to the law and you're not getting at least that, you're using it incorrectly. Yeah. Does yeah. that mean it's the by all end all? No. But it's the door from which you must enter. Yes. Yeah, through which you must enter. By, under which? under which <laughs> <Yeah>. around whom <laughs> you got what I'm saying <laughs> prepositions so then he says this um, he says okay so the law was written for the ungodly for the sexually immoral those who practice homosexuality enslavers liars perjurers and whatever else is contrary to false doctrine or to sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. And then he says this, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So this gets us into the uh, litmus test for true doctrine, Oh, but also like this idea of sound doctrine. So I think most of the time when I think of doctrines mm. or beliefs, I kind of think about beliefs, statements of facts, logical mm. sil- syllogisms, God is three in one. God is three in one. Um, But as I was reading about this word, like sound doctrine, Mm. but also reading about it in context of the law, right doctrine produces a certain moral character in Mm -hmm. people. Right. So what I believe, one of the first tests of uh, is a doctrine true or not is does it make me more like God? Right. Like, yeah, does it create that heart change that he talked about in verse five. Mm-hmm. The aim of this, the aim of this charge for you to confront these false teachers, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. Right. So does the, whatever you guys are teaching, mm-hmm. does it make me like love people? Does it make me, you know, does yes. it does it create a sincere faith and a good heart in me? Do I see myself increasingly obeying the Ten Commandments over time rather than ignoring them over right. time? Right. Right. Like that's not the only test. But it's, uh, but it's part of the test. But it's part of the test. And, and Paul's critique here, these false teachers, is that their endless speculation is devolving the church away from the character of God. Mm-hmm. It looks more and less and less like the character of God explained in the Ten Commandments and more and more like this divisive, immoral, um, quarrelsome mob than it does the household of God right. that's supposed to be peaceful and united right bring peace and love to the world which is proving that what they're teaching is wrong 
So the first litmus test for whether or not somebody is a false teacher, the first litmus test if somebody's teaching something that's in accordance with the scripture is does it produce the character of God in the person teaching it and the people listening to it? Mm -hmm. okay. So that's the first litmus test. That's the first litmus test. You you can't you can't just have beliefs on their own. Right. Like and analyze them just in someone's brain. That's right. That's right. Real sound good doctrine will change the way someone lives and make them look like Jesus. That's right. Okay. That's right. And the second thing that we're told is that it's in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. What does that mean? Well, I mean, in accordance with the gospel. Oh, okay. That's, I mean, that's, I got, I all the extra there. words, Paul, we didn't need. Uh, I mean, the, glory, <laughs> we need, we need the glory and blessed God's great. Let's not let's not diminish the glory and blessedness of God. What I need, I, I just let's focus on <laughs> in accordance with the gospel. Um, what I think that means is, so we need doctrine that creates holy people. Mm-hmm that accords and looks like the life of Jesus. So you 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 said it in the very end of your last mm. the last thing you said, but like it accords with the character of God as revealed in the Old Testament law. Right. It also accords with the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. Ah, right. Right. Yes. Does this God in the flesh lived out the perfect sound doctrine? He fulfilled the law. He demonstrated the ah, law. He lived the law. There you go. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. We've seen sound doctrine in the flesh. Yes. It's Jesus. Is what you're teaching making people look like that? Right. Are you enfleshing the Torah in more people? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you're teaching the, the right doctrine then. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the first litmus test is the sound doctrine creates sound living. Yes. And then the second one is, is that sound living not mm -hmm. just culturally appropriate? Like, oh, you're, you fit in really well and the world thinks you're living right. You know, because whose standard is right living? Right. It's, well, is that in accordance with the gospel? Yeah. The way that Jesus lived, the reason he died, mm -hmm. um, and is it accordance with all he taught, all that kind of stuff. That's right. Okay. Is there a third one? The third one is with which I had been entrusted. So hmm. Paul is saying that he, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, has some authority on the matter of what is true and false doctrine. Mm -hmm. And so the apostolic witness, the apostolic stamp of approval, is part of how you know whether it's not something is true doctrine. Hmm. So Paul's basically saying, the final way that you can know that these are false teachers is because I'm telling you they're false teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also curious, too, about that he's, this comes after a diatribe about the law, mm -hmm. which is scripture. And so he's like talking about, how do you know if something's being taught right, I'm assuming from scripture? Y yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes, not yes. just like, new age philosophy or something like that. But all this conversation is grounded in a conversation about how to treat the Bible. Right. And I mean, we talked about this offline, but when Paul in first Corinthians 15, one through five talks about the gospel, one of the most explicit places, he just defines the gospel for you. Right. He said, Jesus died according to the scriptures. Jesus rose again, according to the scriptures. He was and seen according to the scriptures. Jesus's death, burial and resurrection you actually need scripture to interpret that correctly. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it means nothing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, you the law, and we're talking about proper use of the law. Proper use of the Hebrew law. Right, the, the Old Bible. Testament. Yes. The proper use of it is to see your sin, know you're guilty, know you need a Savior, and then see that that Savior is Jesus, 
who died, was buried, rose again, and ascended, according to, to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, so I, I guess what I'm trying to get to through that whole little, what seemed like a rabbit trail is, I think what binds all three of those litmus tests for sound doctrine together is, does it accord with the word of God? Yes. Is is this what the Bible talks about? Right? Because it, it's all, all this whole conversation is stemming from the Bible itself. Right. And, and so, one of the prerogatives of those early apostles was to actually write more scripture. Right. Right. As an apostle. As an apostle, Paul wrote 1 Timothy, and we are reading it 2,000 years later. Right. As authoritative. As authoritative. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. That's that's cool. Uh, Let's talk about what's on the line for this. Why is this even one of our three points in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1? You know, it's like, why talk about sound doctrine and right thinking and knowing how to prove a false teacher from a true teacher? Why is that so super important that Mm -hmm. we chose it as one of our three points today? It's good news that there is a limit on the innovation of teaching. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, there is some things that accord with Scripture and some things that are not. Mm-hmm. And it's good news that we know how to determine true teaching from false teaching mm. based on the Bible. Does it accord with, does it create holy people? Does it look and smell like Jesus? Mm. Did the apostles talk about it? Yes. Okay. We're on firm footing. And we can, I think that gives me a little degree of, con- I mean, there's so much speculation about so much doctrine about e- everything. Right. But part of me feels like it's good news that I have some answers. I'm not just endlessly spinning my wheels and speculating about what it could have meant. Right. I've got 2,000 years of church history. I've got a hundred and something years of the apostles writing about the ministry of Jesus and its implications. Mm. I've got thousands of years as we include the Hebrew scriptures about the, the witness and character of God. Mm-hmm. I know what God's about. I know how to be saved. Right. I know what kind of man I'm supposed to be, you know, like no, totally. based on some simple facts. It's a, yeah, it's good news that we can have answers about life's most important things. Yeah. 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of what I'm getting at. That's awesome. When I'm reading First Timothy, it just seems just so applicable today for so many reasons. Number one, because false teaching is as old as the earth. Yeah. You had false teaching in the Garden of Eden, you know, so it's, <laughs> right, it's right, a right. perennial problem. Yeah. We've not moved past it. Uh, there's still so much false teaching today. Mm-hmm. And even the way he's describing this kind of false teaching, like I know people who major on the minors in the Old Testament yeah, and get lost in it, and just they're missing the gospel, and they're they're missing the moral implications. They're like, oh, that doesn't matter how I'm living my life because they're just like they're, no. they're just engrossed in the mysteries, and and I'm like, man, I yeah. and I think we're gonna get to how do you respond to those people next, right. which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm like, it's good. I think yeah, I think there's a lot on the line with false teaching. It's been Satan's tactic from the beginning, and it mm-hmm. continues to be. And I think we too can be mentored by Paul here in knowing that there is a litmus test for what's true or not. And in an age of relativism uh, where uh, who knows if there's answers, right? It's good news that there are, uh, you know, like, I yeah. think that's really good. I am also struck just by the consistency of the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, so, and I think this is probably an underappreciated point. Like, it was interesting to me as I was reading this for the first time. Like, the Old Testament law taught me the gospel. Yeah. It taught me that I wasn't living up to God's commands, and it taught me that my guilt could be taken away and that I couldn't do it on my own and right. I needed a sacrifice to do it for me. Right. It taught me the gospel. They and you, like you got that you can get that whole story from the first three chapters. Right. It's such a consistent story. That's what you're marveling yeah, at right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, we can't I'm I'm sinner in need of uh, in need of grace. Sin at the tree. Right? Like right. Adam, I we failed <laughs> we to failed. the Garden of Eden. I will send someone in your place, a son who will take care of it. Right. And now oh, I'm gonna great. sacrifice an animal to cover you and your shame. Yeah. That that was that's the whole story. And that played out over and over and over again. And I'm like, oh, yeah. The Old Testament people had the same faith I have. Yeah. They just didn't know his name. Right. Like they just but they were looking forward to the same thing we look back to. Right. Yeah. And that's I don't know if I've fully appreciated how similar yeah. faithful Old Testament believers are to what I have in Jesus right now. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. I mean, it makes me think about like how I like the word consistent. That's yeah. such a good word. Like how consistent the gospel has been throughout the pages of scripture. And what that just makes me marvel at one is I love how great of an author God is. Right. <laughs> As a literature <laughs> nerd. Uh, but two more, way more importantly is um, it just shows me the faithfulness of God in a different way that God's never tried to change the story. Yeah. You know, he, he has told the same story over and over and over again for thousands of years mm-hmm. That we are guilty and in need of grace, and he is more than happy to provide a savior for us because he loves us. And I think a lot of false teaching misses that point because it assumes that we could save ourselves in some matter. It doesn't want to admit the first point. It doesn't want to admit the first point, which is, I think, what the false teachers here are doing. Right. Like, You're we, guilty. We're, we're fine. We're good people. Right. We're basically, we, we don't need a savior. Yeah. We, don't, we don't need it because... Let me tell you about all the cultural things. Let me tell you about... Right. Like, I don't need it. Would a godless pe- person be this godly? Right. Would somebody who loves the Old Testament this much really be breaking so many of its commandments? No. Right? Like, yeah. we convince ourselves that we're good enough. Yeah. We and, don't want to admit the first point. And then the way that we... Once we convince ourselves we're good enough, the only way that we can be enlightened, saved, continue in that life is by trusting our own goodness which I feel like most people will have diminishing returns on. Yeah. Like if I, the more I try to operate out of my own sense of goodness and self, the more quickly I feel depressed, frustrated, and anxious. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely so know what you mean. there's an antidote to that anxiety when you don't have to trust yourself, when you can freely admit you're guilty because there's a, there is a way to get out of your guilt provided by somebody else for free, based on your trust mm-hmm. that's just a better news yeah and more freedom and so like one of the ways that you can tell a false teacher from a true teacher is if the false teacher is telling you, you can do it on your own yeah if you have the moral or physical or spiritual capabilities on your own to enact your own salvation they are missing the point mm-hmm. of the entire consistent message of the bible I mean, that's a really good way to distill this down is like if the power is in you if the the know-how and the pathway is in you, um, if the truth and the identity is in you, if you just understand, yeah, then that's a false teacher. That's a false teacher. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And the good news about identifying that false teacher is everyone listening and Seth and I in this room, isn't it true 
and you said this, that the more we try to do it ourselves, the more terrible we feel. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, I want to escape from that cycle, right? Which is right. the cycle the Old Testament went to great lengths to show me existed, to prove that I couldn't do it. And man, the good news is Jesus is the one who it all hinges on, yeah. that he's good enough. Right, that the truth, he is the truth. He's creating in us the type of people he wants us to be by his power, right. not our own moral effort. Yeah, that's just good news. Amen. All right, so we've talked about the false teaching, the misuse of the law, and how to identify true and false doctrine. Now, I think the um, natural question that we would ask next is our next section. And it's what Paul does. It's, okay, we've identified the false teacher. We know that they don't have um, a true doctrine. What am I supposed to do with these people? How do I respond mm. to false teachers with false doctrine in my midst? Do I go like grab the pitchfork? Instead of answering your question, can oh, I tell you a story? Ooh, tell me a story. Story time. Can I tell you the same story as Paul tells Timothy? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> this story. I know this story. So that's the question you expect, right? Yes. And I think Paul knows to expect it, but instead of giving you the answer right away, he tells us his own story of how he came to know Jesus. He says this, I thank him uh, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service service so he judged him which is an interesting mm -hmm. choice of language con considering everything so he's thanking god that he has joined the team yeah because <laughs> formerly i was a blasphemer ah. a persecutor an insolent opponent in other words i used to be a false teacher right i used to be a divisive and combative force against the church just like the people you're dealing with timothy that long list of bad people i said the law was made to like, i make used them feel to misinterpret guilty. the law yeah like, i used to be a yeah i used to misuse the law yeah yeah um but i received mercy because i acted ignorantly in unbelief how did he just describe the false teachers as people who don't know what they're doing they're ignorant mm -hmm. they don't they don't believe the true story about scripture so you, what you're saying is paul is full-on identifying with the false teachers yes okay in their sin in their misrepresentation of the law, in their false teaching, and in their ignorance. He's yeah. saying, that was me. But I received mercy by God, and the <laughs> grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying, Timothy. It's worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to, into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Wow. I mean, there's the gospel right That's there. That's the gospel. Yeah. I mean, and like, what an amazing way to like help a mentee know how to act in such a difficult situation yeah let me tell you a story first that's yeah. a, such an old oh. old hat sage gray i can't hair. wait till i'm wise enough to do that <laughs> so you asked me a question let me tell you a story about fishing <laughs> <laughs> is this really going to answer my question wax on miyagi <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's let's try to repeat what paul's doing here yeah um okay so he's saying like you've got these false teachers they're teaching false things they're not using the law right they're ignorant He's saying, Timothy, buddy, Minty, my dear friend and son in the faith, that was me. Yeah. That was your mentor. That mm -hmm. was the guy that you respect most in the world, right? Yeah. I was that. Mm -hmm. I was a false teacher. Mm -hmm. And you know what mm -hmm. God did? 
Mm-hmm. The one who should be the like have the he has the most right to judge. Yeah. You know what it, what he did instead? He gushed, overflowed. The banks broke with what? Mercy and grace. And he like saved me. That is crazy. Yeah. But it's what you should expect from the Old Testament. Right. Right. We just said it a hundred times that, man, old, go to the Old Testament. You're guilty. You're a blasphemer. You're a lawbreaker. Why is the Old Testament trying to teach you that? So it can show you the grace. Yeah. That's always been God's story. He's a consistent storyteller. And think about, too, the power of this for from the Apostle Paul's mouth. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this the other day. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul and a, when, a, when he was a false teacher and like misinterpreting the law and killing people, is now the Apostle that probably would have had family members, surviving family members from the people he killed. Oh, golly. Right? So I, I killed your dad for being a Christian, but, you're, but his wife and child are still in the churches that I am now an apostle over and writing scripture over. So just think, I, I think about that. And then Paul is like, I was worse than the people you're dealing with, Timothy. God, God rescued me out of his great mercy. And he's giving me this authority beyond what I deserve. But if he can do that for me, he will transform the, the situation that you're mm-hmm. in. Like, the, the, the amount of like hope that's got to give for somebody like Timothy who knows that story Oh, Paul yeah. was murdering some of the people that were, the the relatives of the people that were pastoring. Right. And now he's their authority figure. So now Timothy, as you deal with these men in your church who are dividing a church, being combative, causing all these problems, what what do you think God can do for them? Yeah, that's amazing. Anyway, I just I, yeah. I put some color on oh, the Apostle Paul's really ministry heavy. that I had yeah. not thought about. And like what Paul is calling Timothy to do in that story is to act like God did to him. Yeah. He's like, God acted this way to me. You go be God to them. Yeah, he says this. I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Mm. So the reason God did what he did with Paul was to show off how patient he is. Yeah. Okay. And that he would that Paul would be the reason that they would come to faith. Right. They would see Paul's salvation and be like, God's that patient, that merciful, that mm-hmm. kind, mm-hmm. that long suffering with someone as terrible as Paul, he could save me. Yeah. I wanna I wanna be on that God's team. I wanna yeah. serve that God. Yeah. That's that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Okay. And he's telling Timothy, like, be encouraged. If God can save me and he God was patient with me. You can be patient with mm-hmm. the false teachers you're dealing with, too. Right. And not just patient endlessly, not patient for patience' sake, right? Not just just put up with it, you know? Just keep being faithful, plug away. J- sorry. Patient in hope. Right. But patient in hope, what? That even the worst sinner can come to repentance. Mm-hmm. I did, Paul, right? I did. Yeah. They can, too. Yeah. In verse 19, he says, he names two people that have made shipwreck of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Mm -hmm. And he says, I've actually handed them over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. Mm. He has hope that these people who have been handed over to Satan, kicked out of the church, excommunicated, excommunicated, would actually return by the godlike patience Timothy extends to them as he is in leadership in Ephesus. Man, I mean, what does this say to us? (laughs) <laughs> be patient <laughs> i mean yeah but like 
there's Paul has such an extreme amount of hope, right, for others mm-hmm. that I we we don't typically extend to the um dishonorably discharged from the church. Yeah. You know, people who just like outside. you know what, you've you've burned the bridge, you're out of the church, you had that affair, you did that thing, you you went too far. Mm-hmm. Bye. You know, like or or right. Uh just really I don't I'm not going to name names, but like a famous false teacher who's just you know, the wide swath of the church has been like this guy's gone off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And it's like what should our reaction be to people like that? Right? It's man I know that God can still radically call them back and they're going to have the craziest testimony ever. Right. Like there's hope and there's, and you just love them and you're patient with them. Yeah. Like, I think ugh. we have an, I think Paul has a better understanding of God's patience than we do. Yeah. Um, I mean, not only because he experienced it personally, mm-hmm. but I also think he just understands his old Testament better. Mm. Like the first time God describes himself, is in the book of Exodus, yes. chapter 34, and he says, I am a God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. One of the first of God's self-descriptions of himself is as patient. Mm-hmm. And that's used throughout scripture by Ooh, all yep. the prophets to describe the character of God. God is a God of patience. Long-suffering. The apostle Peter is dealing with a similar group of false teachers in his church, and they are talking about the patience of God, but they're using it as a license to, to for immorality. Oh, right. They're I remember saying, that. Yeah. yeah. They're saying, well, God hasn't come back yet, so that mean, must mean we can live however we want, and he doesn't care how he lives. If he cared how he lived, he would come back and judge us. Yeah, seriously. Like like Ryan over there, he, he just did this really immoral thing inside the church. If God really cared, he would come, he would come back and punish Ryan. And then... And he, he didn't, so live any way you want. Here, and then... But then Peter's response is, but bear this in mind. The Lord's patience isn't meant to like make you licentious. Right. The Lord's patience is salvation. Mm. The Lord's patience is salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you. Yeah. So Paul is known for his gospel of patience. His gospel of patience. <laughs> and then he says this. He says, I like this, to think of Paul's uh, gospel of patience as his like stump speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> God was really patient, guys. He's like, we know the story, Paul. <laughs> you are a murderer. Sorry, go ahead. You know, he says this. He writes this, speaking of these matters, and he con- his letters contains things that are hard to understand, which people twist. Right. What's the What's the doctrine that people find hard to understand? God's patience. God's patience, and they want to take advantage of it to do whatever they want to do. Right. Rather than using it as a means to repent of their sins mm. and come closer to the God who saves, regardless of what you have done. Mm. I mean, let's get real personal then to everyone listening and to us here, this is just really good news. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that Jesus is patient with you. I often let my brain lie to me and Satan lie to me and my past lie to me and my, you know, mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. Jesus is just tapping his foot with a furrowed brow. And he's just like, again, David, come on, get it together. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's, we've been over this already. We've been over this already. Haven't you learned? He's so patient. Like, he's so patient. Like, or, or you know, you, you let's take it another direction. Like you have a dear friend or a parent or a child that's walked away from the faith, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, man, they're just too far gone. Yeah. God's more patient than you for them to yeah. come back. Like, or you yourself have walked away. And maybe you're yeah. listening to this podcast right now because you're trying to explore faith again. 
and you just don't believe yet. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I bet God's just so mad at me. No, he's yeah. so patient he's with so you patient. while you're listening to this very long podcast. Yeah. Right? Like, he's so patient. He he can wait. He can wait for you. And that how much and how much love does he have to have to be that patient? I think about the moments and think about this, you too, like when I'm the most patient with my children, it's when I'm most focused on how much I love them. Yeah. It's like when I'm like, man, I just I love Ezra. Like, yeah, it, I it find my patience, my patience towards them. It's like I have to be actively choosing to yes. be involved, right, in this moment. You <laughs> yes, know what I mean? Yes. So to think of God actively choosing to be near and attentive to me in order that He might be patient with me, is a beautiful thought. Yeah, He's just so patient. And also, I think this puts a really cool bow on what we've talked about since the beginning of this episode, which is the consistent gospel of the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Right, he told right, the story right. once and twice and a hundred times and 500 times over a thousand years, <laughs> right? Yeah. In order that he would patiently, faithfully express the best news we would ever hear. That he bore with humanity and Israel, right? Through right. so many ups and downs to show us how patient he is. like Because we, he knew we wouldn't believe him. He knew we would be like... I know you're patient, but you're not that patient. And he wanted to have a thousand year track record to point <laughs> back to and say, yes, I am. I am patient enough for you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such good news. Yeah. And think about this, that if God is, the fact that God to be patient mm-hmm. is an incredible quality that we have analogs as human beings. Right. As dads, we know what it means, the, the effort <laughs> it takes to be patient. Okay, cool. Understood. Verse 17, to the king of ages and immortal. What does it mean to have <laughs> immortal patience. patience towards mortal failures? Oh my gosh. I don't know, know another way to frame that except to say like the omnipotence and omni-agelessness of God <laughs> yeah. should only heighten his impatience right. towards creatures that live mere breaths. Right. He should be like, oh, at least they're going to die soon. Like, that should be like, <laughs> like that. He, as an immortal being, he would have, it would be expected of him to have that type of calloused right. impatience yeah. towards lesser beings. Right. But the fact that he's an immortal and eternal God, yet he just chooses to define himself by his involvement and patience with sinful human beings mm-hmm. is even more incredible. Right. It's one thing to say, oh, I'll wait for you. It's another thing to say, I'll wait forever. Yeah. Like, God has waited forever to love you. So, yeah, it's one thing to say, I'll wait for you. It's another thing to say, I will wait for you forever. Mm -hmm. And God has waited forever to love you, to love me. And he will wait forever with us. He'll be patient with us forever. You know, like I'm just yeah. the immortal patience of God is maybe the most mind-boggling thing I've ever thought of. <laughs> so uh, I can't think of a better place to end, but right I there, think th- I think we did it. That's awesome. So thanks for listening to this, guys. Yeah, and next week we'll be in First Timothy chapter two and three. Yes, talking about men and women in the church, everyone's Woo. favorite topic, and um, a little bit of overseers and deacons, maybe elders, deacons, and the way the church is God's house fun. All right. Well, we'll see you guys there. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week in 1 Timothy chapter 2.
Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.